spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. And welcome to the Doing Time show. We're just going to play some uh, podcasts from Anarchist Radio Berlin. And the first podcast we'll play is from um, about the International Week of Solidarity for with Anarchist Prisoners in 2018. That was um, on the 23rd of August. Um, this is the time for the International Week of Solidarity with Anarchist Prisoners. Prisoners, and to make sure that you know what this week is about, this is why we need, and why we need it. We made a inter- interview with a comrade who is part of the group organised this year's Week of Solidarity. The audio has been published originally by International Anarchist Radio N- Networks. So we'll just play this podcast. Sagen Sie jetzt mal bitte ah ah nein hi anarchie anarchie ob geschichtlich oder brandaktuell mit Berichten und Interviews, mit Beiträgen und Collagen beleuchtet das anarchistische Radio Berlin das Phänomen des Anarchismus. Hi there, it's A Radio Berlin bringing you some bad news. But please relax, take a comfortable seat and enjoy. Each year, the end of August is the time for the International Week of Solidarity with Anarchist Prisoners. And to make sure that you know what this week is about and why it is needed, we took an interview with Alex, who is part of the group that has organized the Week of Solidarity this year. Could you please explain what is the Week of Solidarity in general? Like, what is it about? Sure. Um, so the Week of Solidarity is a band or a one-week event um, that was formed up six years ago. It was kind of like a brainstorm from the different ABC groups, anarchist black cross groups, um, actually addressing the problem with uh, the bigger amount of solidarity days during the year on the different issues. So the repressions are hitting there and there, and there was always like this, you know, call-outs, hey, we need solidarity here, we need solidarity there. Um, on one side. On the other side, some people were forgotten uh, after one, two years who were ending up in prison. And only a few people were still aware of them. So we thought, hey, um, let's make a week where we would concentrate ourselves and people around us and kind of like try to provoke people um, to 
give some attention to those who are in prison, who are repressed, or um, to the topic of the repression. But it's also worth mentioning that this week of solidarity came up from this contradiction um, that was there um, because of the day of solidarity with the uh, political prisoners um, that was formed out by the different NGOs and also human rights activists and so on and so forth. And we were not, um, we've seen that, you know, the anarchists were not considered as political prisoners in many cases. They were just hooligans. So we thought, okay, this is really important to focus once again on the anarchists during this week. Um, however, what is also worth mentioning, and we got a lot of criticism for that, is that, you know, there are um, a lot of different people who are sitting in prison, and those also deserve attention, and those also deserve support. And with this week of solidarity, we are not denying help to those people, rather than saying, well, at least with all those resources, we would like to pay attention to our comrades who are in prison. And the week is happening from 23rd to 30th of August, um, which is um, eventually 23rd was selected because um, of the date of execution, Sakho and and uh, one week because people, you know, tend to have their own stuff going on, so they would have one week uh, where they can pick up at least one day to do some solidarity actions. Okay, thanks. And what has happened during the week this year? Could you please give some concrete examples? Well, there were, um, like, you know, traditional things, people drawing banners and dropping banners from the bridge, or people doing some... Uh, I don't know, um, graffitis on the walls and, and things like that. Um, but there were also presentations um, connected with the topic. There were also the letter writing evenings um, that were, you know, focused on the certain people. Um, yeah, so there were a lot of kind of events that were limited eventually only by the um, imagination of the people. And if you want to see, like, a you know, the whole set of the things that were happening. You can have a look at the website, and there, um, there is, like, a bigger, um, how would you say, content also delivered from the people, because people were doing their actions not without any message, rather than doing the mass uh, action and sending us the, um, the, the reports with their, you know, texts, which is also interesting to read. Could you please pronounce the name of the website? Um, Solidarity.international. Solidarity, yeah. Dot international. It's really fancy. Do you think the week of solidarity is achieving its goals? Do you see any results? I think in the, in the long run, it's it's kind of achieving the goals. In the short run, it's hard to see the results. I mean, we see that the people are paying attention to the question of repressions, and people are doing solidarity actions, and people are supporting the local prisoners. But at the same time, I mean, it's kind of the thing that is more visible, I think, to the local communities than to us who are organizing this week. I mean, we see that um, the interest is coming from all around the world to the week. Um, but at the same time, those who are um, doing the events would have a better overview of what is going on in their places and how successful they are with fighting the repressions. But all in all, I think, like, at the, at the very bottom, we are doing quite well. Okay. If we are speaking about the people in solidarity to whom this week is supposed to happen, where do we see some exact spots of repression in the world? Are there any hot areas? I mean, for the anarchists, for sure, there are certain places that are, you know, um, 
being part of the anarchist movement might lead you to the prison. And I think one of the biggest ones is eventually Greece. Um, then there is also Russia, which is giving a lot of attention to anti-fascists, but also anarchists. Um, there are people sitting in jail in Spain and all around Europe eventually, but Greece is kind of the big um, thing. Then if we are talking about the rest of the world, um, I believe that Chile is quite big um, with the anarchist prisoners and also U.S. Um, that is, you know, still fighting with the anarchists as if they are the biggest threat ever to the government. And I think in general, um, as we see, you know, development of the right-wing movements um, or the rise of the right-wing movements all around the world, we will also see more and more repressions coming up against the movement, um, whether it's big or small, and with more people, unfortunately, ending up in jail for sure. Although, yeah, this should not be actually in the interview because this is more predictions and predictions are not really good for that. Where can one find actual information about imprisoned anarchists? Um, the, the most actual list is right now at our website at the Solidarity International, which was composed from the prisoners from all around the world. At the same time, we are updating our list only once a year. That means that if the new prisoners are coming or the older ones are getting out, this list won't be updated, um, and if you're searching for more information um, in next months, then it would make sense to have a look at the ABC in your local region, whether if you're living, I don't know, in U.S., then most probably some ABC groups in U.S., or if you're living in Europe, some European ABC groups, and things like that. You gotta remember, nine of the special day for us, fellas. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. And the next audio um, podcast that is from um, Anarchist Radio Berlin again. Um, it's about the. Um, Machupi political prisoners um, and we'll just go to it Alfredo Tralcalcoche Alfredo Tralcalcoche Pablo Trangol Galindo Benito Trangol Galindo and Ariel Trangol Galindo are imprisoned precisely in the jail in Temuco, Chile since July 9th of 2016 accused of setting a church on fire with only one piece of evidence against them the statement of a witness without a face who claims to have seen a truck similar to that of Lonco Alfredo Tralcalcoche near the fire the comuneros were detained during a routine identity control by police near their private home, which is 10 kilometers away from the area of the fire. 
After one year deprived of their liberty, without evidence against them, without a set sentence or a reasonable date of trial, on July 7th of 2017, the Comuneros decided to begin an indefinite hunger strike with the following demands. 1. Fair trial within a reasonable date. 2. No to the use of the anti-terrorist law, 18,314. 3. No to the use of witnesses without faces. 4. Liberty under Article 140. 5. Repeal of the cautionary measure of preventative prison. On September 13th of 2017, during a press conference, following a request from the National Institute for Human Rights and in light of an agreement of collaboration between institutions, the Department of Human Rights of the Medical School of Chile informed on the results of the medical evaluation in regards to the Comuneros on hunger strike, expressing the serious physical and neurological situation of Lonco Alfredo Tralcal, Benito, Ariel and Pablo Trangol. There is between 18% to 23% of weight loss, renal damage, neurological damage, memory loss, tremors and paranoia. Freedom to all Mapuche political prisoners. Free Walmapu. Freedom to all Mapuche political prisoners. Free Walmapu.
here to struggle, there to win. All power to the people. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio. And this podcast is called um, Locking Down by Mami Abul Jamal. Locking Down the Constitution. It happened on the last Wednesday of August 2018. Around 8.30 p.m., the PA system announced a lockdown of the prison, apparently in response to a recent spate of staff sicknesses thought to be related to drugs. Even though the suspected cases occurred in prisons in the western part of Pennsylvania, the entire state system, almost 30 prisons, went into immediate lockdown. Lockdown means no movement in the prison except for staff. That means all prisoners are locked in their cells for 24 hours a day. All visits were canceled. Mail delivery and outgoing mail was canceled. Several days into this process, guards distributed a three-page memo to prisoners announcing new rules allegedly designed to defeat drug smuggling among them. Prisons will no longer receive mail, for all correspondence will be rerouted through an address in St. Petersburg, Florida. That office will scan and copy the mail and then send a digital copy back to Pennsylvania. Legal mail will be Xeroxed and a copy given to the prisoner named in the mail. For three months, no visitor can purchase food or photos for a prisoner, and no books can be ordered by a prisoner. The BOC, it appears, is having a temper tantrum, and it is engaged in war against all contact with the public. This sounds like the DOC's equivalent of reefer madness. This is, more than anything else, Pennsylvania's DOC's engagement in drug politics. It's a war against the prisoners, yes, but also a war against knowledge and ultimately the Constitution itself. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio. DOC goes cuckoo. It began with a 10-day lockdown. Almost 50,000 men and women held in 24-hour solitary confinement for almost two weeks in their cells. Why? Ostensibly because of several dozen staffers who were said to sicken because of drug exposures. Medical experts in drugs, chemistry, and drug treatment heard the DOC claims and poo-pooed them. The drugs they described, like K2, a chemical form of marijuana, simply didn't produce the symptoms they described. Indeed, the DOC staffers' symptoms were more in line with what some scientists have called mass psychogenic illness or a mental reaction to fear and paranoia. In response, the DOC attacked prisoners and their friends and families by outlawing and banning books, by replacing mail, by Xeroxing copies of letters, and by 
Xeroxing all legal mail and holding the originals for weeks. On visits, they removed all food and drink from vending machines. In a word, the VOC went mad, and almost 50,000 men and women suffered for what may be the actions of perhaps a dozen people. Ain't not correct about that. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio. Prison health in an unhealthy place. It is, at first blush, somewhat odd to expect health care in a place where, essentially, no one really cares about you. Prisons are the slums of the state, for it is, more often than not, an abode of the poor and a dwelling place of the impoverished. Prisons rarely house the wealthy, and to a lesser degree, the same might be said of the healthy. They are a social-political construction erected to provide recession-proof jobs to rural, depressed, white communities. These communities, in turn, benefit from the plethora of jobs attracted by prisons, not just in the realm of so-called security, but health care as well. It should therefore surprise no one that the health care provided is of substantially lower quality than the poor health care provided to poor communities and in working-class neighborhoods. One of the most significant challenges facing both prisoners and free communities is hepatitis C, which causes liver damage and related illnesses. While hep C is actually curable, the cost of antiviral drugs is prohibitive. The going market price for these drugs is about $1,000 a pill or about $90,000 for a full daily regimen of its, say, 8 to 12 weeks. Who can afford that, free or imprisoned? But health, like any other social good, comes through struggle. There have been legal attacks, yes, protests, and public calls for making these drugs available. Some have prevailed. Others have not. The struggle continues across the country. Thank you for your time. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal. of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care and also others... The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years, and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day, 223 years ago. The white man landed on our shore. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. And we're going to play some more commentary from Prison Radio. Uh, the first one is Business of Prison. Uh, 
um, by uh, Omar Aske Ali, and then Real Freedom by o- Omar as well. So we'll just get to that now. The name of my topic is the business, the business of prisons. Picture a multi-billion-dollar industry with corporate ties ranging from Boeing, Macy's, Nintendo, Starbucks, and Victoria's Secret. Picture industry giants with sizable springs to pool in Washington. Picture an industry where CEOs receive $5.7 million in executive compensation. If you envision an investment bank or Wall Street, think again. Orange is the new black is more on the right track. Private prisons are a cash cow. Private companies rake in billions of dollars in revenue each year through the United States' inmate population. In fact, this trade is so widespread that it has its own term, the prison industrial complex. Critical Resistance, a national grassroots organization working to dismantle the prison industrial complex, defines the complex quite eloquently. The prison industrial complex is a term we use to describe the overlapping interests of government and industry that use surveillance, policing, and imprisonment as solutions to economical, social, and political problems. Corporations can benefit from the prison industrial complex in several ways. Many, including technology and food companies, do so through contract prison labor. Starbucks, through subcontractors, signature packaging solutions, has hired Washington State prisoners to package holiday coffee. Spirits has used inmates in call centers. Inmates have shown Victoria's Secret products, including made in USA tags. Not only is this behavior completely legal, but it is also quite easy and actually encouraged by government policy. Under the Work Opportunity Tax Credit, employees receive a 2,400 tax credit for every work release inmate they employ as a reward for hiring risky target groups. This process is called insurance companies who participate and are free to avoid paying for benefits such as health insurance or sick days and do not have to bother with pesky issues like unions, vacation requests, or flexible work requests. Some companies profit simply from the existence of prisons. These companies, such as the GEO, formerly WICHUT, and Corrections, Corporation of America have and profit off of thousands of state and federal inmates. GEO is of, as of 2010, contracts with 13 states, the Federal Bureau of Prisons, the United States Marshal Service, and U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. That same year, 60 cent percent, 842 million of GEO's revenue came from U.S. corrections contracts. Private prisons, companies like GEO have little incentive to rehabilitate prisoners or work towards alleviating social problems. In fact, it's 
quite the opposite. Probably prisons, operations, profit from society woes. This has undoubtedly contributed to the country's skyrocketing prison population. Put simply, more prisoners more means more cash for private prisons corporations. In 1980, there were 319,598 people in federal or state prisons. By 2013, that number had exploded to 1.57 million. The private prison industry and other members of the prison industrial complex have doggedly lobbied, lobbied in D.C. and state capitals across the country for laws that increase the prison population under the skies of tough on crime. Many states have passed so-called mandatory minimums, which strip judges of the ability to determine the length of an offender's sentence. These laws set an automatic minimum length for given sentences, guaranteeing lengthier prison terms and thus greater profits for companies in the prison industrial complex. My name is Omar Skiali, a.k.a. Wachistrom. Thank you very much. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio. All right, my name is uh, Omar Skiali, a.k.a. Wachistrom. I'm housed at FCI Cole Township in Pennsylvania. My subject matter today is real freedom. Before a prisoner or are released from prison, we should be thinking in terms of building our own businesses as a mean of self-sufficiency. In turn, we become an asset in solving the light in our society, whether it be in economics, politics, science, or any other facet of our empowerment. Prisoners need to have a fundamental comprehension of how and why things in our high-tech society work. Because education is about empowerment. Without it, we will never be liberated without liberating our minds. Because we will continue to exist in a state of total disarray, playing illusionary games with our own selves. We have no time for playing the blame game, and yes, there is some suffering in some manner. However, only we can turn things around with like-minded people. Unity is more than a name. It is the framework for collective empowerment and true freedom. Percentage-wise, prisons are big business because 85 to 90% of the prisoners who are incarcerated or for economically-related crimes. So who is really getting paid? Keep in mind that Sheptow slavery was about money. Let us make freedom our priority by becoming self-sustaining. We must bear in mind that there are different levels of participation in our struggle, and some of us may contribute their expertise, money, and their muscle but they all are necessary for real freedom. Recently, www.cbsnews.com informed us about a convicted felon who became a Georgetown law professor. Robert F. Kennedy, former United States Attorney General in 1964, stated, What has been demonstrated here is that usually only one factor determines whether a defendant stays in jail before he becomes 
to trial. That fact is not guilt or innocence. It is not the nature of the crime. It is not the character of the defendant. That fact is simply money. Thank you very much. Man power. It has been over a generation since the U.S. Senate hearings on the sexual harassment charges of law professor Anita Hill against then-judge, now Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. A lot has changed since then. Or has it? The French have a saying, plus ça change, or the more things change, the more they stay the same. The charges of sexual harassment now poised against the sitting judge and possible justice, Brett Kavanaugh, by a psychology professor, Dr. Christine M. Ford, of events that occurred over 30 years ago, shows us that things have changed very little. For power remains a mostly male prerogative, and women, unless they act as manlike as possible, are more often than not treated like children, seen and not heard. For at the nexus between law and power lies the courts, one of the last mighty bastions of male power. The remarkable Me Too movement may have enormous power in the realm of culture, think Hollywood, but law remains a largely male preserve still. Women, the majority of the U.S. population, are not the majority of political leaders, don't earn the highest incomes, and aren't paid wages equal to men. In other words, their power is quite limited. They are, however, the highest number of law students, so this may prove a coming day that they will dominate the field but not today. Manpower still reigns in politics and law. And unless I miss my guess, in the next few days, we shall see Brett Kavanaugh don the dark robe of a junior justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio. Oops, I was wrong. I was wrong. In my last commentary, entitled Manpower, I assumed that Dr. Christine B. Ford's claim of sexual harassment would not scuttle Judge Brett Kavanaugh's swift ascension to the Supreme Court. As soon as I recorded, I returned to the cell turned on the TV, and CNN's breaking news was really, well, breaking news. Another woman who knew Kavanaugh when he went to college described a remarkable episode of him exposing himself to her whilst in a drunken stupor. The woman, Deborah Ramirez, claimed she pushed him away. This may change the game. For one woman may suggest an incident but two women means a problem. Is this a true picture of the man? Truth is, no one knows, but it suggests the judge, as a young man, had an alcohol and sex problem. Who knows what this will do to his nomination? His chances, which once looked so bright, now looks iffy at best. If he loses a handful of votes, his chance 
to join the nation's highest court, they go down in flames. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio. You know, maybe just Marissa. Um, so yeah, we could just go out with the outro song, Black Fella, White Fella. Bye.
Great Voices number 17 is the latest two-CD set from Great Voices on 3CR. It's a unique collection of rare opera and song featuring current singers like Kaufman and Kalea and the best singers of the 20th century. Colour, Sutherland, Olivero, Schwarzkopf, Ghetto, Corelli, Pavarotti, Carreras and dozens more. Some less famous and some unknown. At $35 posted, $30 at 3CR, this two-CD set, number 17, will delight you with two and a half hours of glorious pleasure. Our previous issues are now only $10 each. Proceeds to 3CR. Ring now on 94198377 or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Pacific had borne the brunt of nuclear testing and this was not done unconsciously. We found documents in the British archives saying that yes there is uh, certain hazards but only to primitive peoples, those that don't wear clothes and don't wash unlike us British. So the sort of racism inherent in this whole operation was known and understood from the beginning that these were the casualties of a larger imperial policy and that they were able to bear the brunt because there were very small populations and didn't have much political voice and as we fast forward to today we see that same thing. 3CR keeping you informed about Australia's nuclear past and present. At such a time it's important to have a voice like 3CR steady, constant, sane and committed to a nuclear free Australia. You're listening to 3CR 855 855- 